Welcome to the Live Lightly Podcast. Awareness to integration to elevation. Sue and Dan open intimate and complex spaces together, discussing integration from physical, emotional, and spiritual levels. Expect conversations that are honest, expansive, and solution-oriented. Everything from consciousness design to biohacking to socio-political deep dives. Creative works and building a new paradigm in relationship through daily choices. Check out the show notes for more info about Sue and Dan, plus our guests. Welcome to this week's Live Lightly podcast, and I'm super excited to be sitting with Alyssa Trube, who I really got in contact with you maybe a couple years ago, and it's very rare that you find someone that's in and out of the wellness, spirituality, gut health, technical space in that regard lives in a van and also rock climbs and does all of those things, right? So when I found your account, I was like, whoa, this girl and I are definitely going to be friends. And then on top of that, I think it was maybe a year later, I saw you say you were a cancer Pisces and you're born on June 28th, correct? July 17th. I know it's close. It's close. Yeah. Super close. And so I immediately was like, well, I think we'll be in contact, you know? So we've been in contact for a couple of years now, back and forth, right? Sometimes creative conversations, sometimes personal conversations. So I knew having you on the podcast today, we would probably both go to places that we really don't want to go in public, but we would do it anyways. <laughs> That's awesome. So I let's I wanted to start in an earthly place first and just talk a little about bit about all things nourishment, right? First time we've had a registered dietitian on the podcast. So would love to hear some of your knowledge. And before we really get into the tactile knowledge space, what drew you to the space emotionally and personally, and then to hold that structure for other people? Hmm. Such a good question. Such a big question. Um, Honestly, it's been almost since I had awareness around how I felt in my body. So probably around like a little like prepubescent. um, I started to very quickly realize like, hey, things that don't feel good really don't feel good for me. And, you know, good is a lazy word, right? It's like, well, what is good? But for me personally, it's like things that zap my energy, deplete me, um, you know, make me feel sluggish, so on and so forth no, it's just a hard no for my body. And I started to learn that really early on through like, of course, the typical spiral of young teenage girl, eating disorder, lost my period, um, realized very quickly. Check, check, check. (laughs) Even that, like, oh my gosh, my period's gone. Like I now fit into this box of a certain weight and a certain height and I can see my abs and all this stuff. But that period being gone for me was like a hard no for my body. And so then it became this, you know, the layers started to be added on where I was like, okay, what is this wellness? What is this health? What is this nourishment? 
actually, not like what has it been defined as outside of me, but what is it for me? And that started when I was like 13, 14 years old, very organically and just has, you know, snowballed and been shaped and refined and molded over the years of, of course, like doing a didactic science-based degree and then also having the embodiment of like real life and what that actually looks like. Mm -hmm. How did you keep up with the science degree with all your water? Was it difficult or were you able to like, you loved it? I loved it. Yeah. Nice. You know what, Sue, that's a great question because I think while I was in it and how I grew up, my, a lot of my like emotional creativity was not as available to me Mm. through like the ebbs and flows, but what was available to me was like very strong logic and having that creative energy, like push me to be like, Hey, how can I see this holistically rather than just learning these facts? The water almost let me, you know, dilute and um, dissolve all of the facts into this like whole container where I was like, oh, okay, this is, this isn't just the Krebs cycle. These are all the possibilities coming off of it. Or this isn't just biochemistry that happens randomly. This is how we're impacting it. And then coming out of the degree and like moving away from family, being someone who's very imprintable, my family's amazing, but you know, you know, the deal Pisces moon. Yeah. What's yours? Is there a difference? Um, then my creativity started to really, or creativity in general and how it moves through my body really became available to me as I moved out of that logical circuitry and more into like sensing circuitry. Mm, yeah. And such a, deep embodiment practice through logic. I'm just so curious, like once you sort of got your period back, you moved a little bit out of the logic space. Did you really see some of your, I mean, you use your body a lot in terms of your own imagery and how you communicate to the world around you and creativity through words. I mean, I'm guessing you saw that parallel really come on strong. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, I love how without even me alluding to it, you were like, Hey, what about these parallels? Because that actually unfolded for me in trying to get my period back Mm. where, you know, I tried everything. I went from all different diets and juice fasting and supplements. And really it just ended up being a lot less about putting on one kind of get up in regard to a diet and just sensing what my body needed and how much that ebbed and flowed. And Um, I remember sitting, I think I was like, it took me three years to get my period back. So yeah. So it was like high school, early college. And I remember sitting outside reading Dr. Christine Northrup's Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, Mm -hmm. and just having this like utter reverence for the cycles, like just the cycles of life and being able to not just feel those in my own body all of a sudden now that my period was back and I could kind of feel this ebb and flow of energy and sexual energy and logical energy and space holding it, just all of this, but also seeing it reflected outside of me. And I feel like that is where the water came in full force where it was like, Hey, what is this interconnectivity that is present all the time? Mm-hmm. You know, that isn't necessarily taught, but that is so felt. Yeah. And I I bet it gives you such a skill with your clients too, where you're not just like, let's cut these calories. Let's add in this nutrient that there's like a lot of emotionality there, which is so important in the food space. You know, I'd love to hear your opinion on that and how the process was for you, but maybe also how you see it with other people. Like you really can't separate food, emotions, and digestion. 
no, you can't. And so, you know, a couple different like layers and starting points. First and foremost, like really, truly, I meet everyone where they're at. And I think probably just based on, you know, the information I moved through in your book, um, you probably do the same thing. And so you probably really get this when I say it, but for some people, like the safe entry point is counting calories mm-hmm. and I've been there. So I'm like, okay, I'll meet you there. And let's see how we can do this in a way that feels integrated. That doesn't feel like we're just counting calories. Like when it, do you have awareness around when you go off your protein range, your carb range, your fat range, and how does that feel in your body? Do you feel anxious mentally? Right. Or are you just using it as a point of information, just like weight? And then there's other people where they come in and they're a lot more organically focused on the bigger picture, you know, hey, I'm noticing I emotional eat when I'm triggered by family or this or that. And for them, yeah, it is often about that awareness, but it just as much is about strategy. Well, maybe your needs aren't being met, or maybe it's uncomfortable to meet those emotions and the food comes in as like a numbing point or a distraction, or we're brilliant, you know, like our mind, our, our brain knows how to shift biochemistry. It knows how to go, Hey, hit me with some carbohydrates so I can (laughs) change my neurotransmitters and all of a sudden feel calm because I just made like a huge hit of serotonin. Right. So Mm -hmm. I always remind people like, even though there might not be immediate logic around why you're doing something, let's find the logic, then you can have understanding and then you don't have to beat yourself up about it. And often that, as you probably know, leads to so many shifts because people stop going, what's wrong with me? And instead they're like, oh, my body's on my side. (laughs) Yeah, that's so, so, so huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's sort of the secret sauce, right? So I love hearing that you have so many different doorways in to cope with that. Cause mm-hmm. you know, you can say that to someone and it just doesn't land until they fully are like, oh yeah, I said that to myself. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Totally. Yeah. And that's another really great point too, is that like something I've seen consistently over the past six years of working with people is that everyone knows what they need already. Like when people show up for the most part, they really know what's, what's off and what they need. It's often just that the organization of how to get it into their life isn't there or like the actual educational piece, like you say, like educating the consumer, right? Educating the person, Mm -hmm. um, that part's missing. And so there's this very subtle, like, Hey, I know what I want. I know what I need. I know what feels amazing and nourishing and grounding and expansive for me, but I don't know how to get there. Or I think I don't know how to get there and I'm nervous to try. Yeah, totally. And I think that's like the tricky compounding emotion space where we get into self-punishment because it's like right on the tip of the tongue, but can't quite reach it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this is probably, I want to come back to climbing and body image and a few other things, but this is also a great segue into sort of private conversation that we were having about understanding ethics and how to be supportive to someone in their own journey without taking their power away and 100% actually giving them power back in the Mm -hmm. space that they've almost robbed it from themselves. Yeah. And so I'm just very, I know I'm like even nervous to go here too, because I haven't quite said a lot of these things out loud. Mm -hmm. Although in my book, I do have the fake and awake myth Mm -hmm. and it's very clear on how to look around you and understand 
when you see authenticity and when you don't. And I don't love that word because we sometimes manipulate that word as well in sort of the wellness spirituality space. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to hear just a little bit about how you sort of keep your container strong and decisions you've made in your own collaborative creative life to have your own point of view, trust your own point of view and really let your power shine that empowers other people. Mm, Okay. So this is, I want to start by saying huge question, right? Like so big. And also the language that we have to work with. This is something I've realized in having these conversations about ethics and being a practitioner and showing up the language falls like vastly short for me in, in comparison to how it feels in the experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, it might sound a little bit clunky, but I'm going to try to really explain my experience in this. Um, and I would say it starts with like, First and foremost, I am not like a business person. Like, yes, I have a business, but, and have and love it and would never want it to be any other way. But my driver is not like the standard or typical container of business. And when I say that, like something that's really important to me in business, not even talking about my authenticity or how I show up for clients or how I keep the container, but in business, it needs to be like, just like everything else, nourishment, climbing, whatever, it needs to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And having that be the foundation of where I come from often helps me with things like, um, let's say preventing codependency with clients right? Or being the client's person that they go to every time they trip and the client runs back. That's not sustainable for me. That's not sustainable for them. So that's like a very easy baseline for me to go, okay, what's working? Pricing. What's sustainable for someone to pay for? What's sustainable for me to have a life that is also sustainable, right? So it's like, that is kind of my baseline and just naturally have has been always for how I interface with clients, how I interface with my work. I don't want to be starting my day and ending my day every day on email or, you know, working nine hours a day, 10 hours a day. For me, that's not sustainable. So that's like my very easy baseline mm-hmm. of how I interface. Um, I'm curious before I keep going, do you have like a baseline that you jump off of for your clients? Yes. Yes. I think this might be similar for both of us, but I work with a lot of people my age or far older than me. So I have to be a little bit careful with like ageism and boundaries Mm -hmm. and making sure that my clients aren't my friends. And that just works for me because I really do lack boundaries as a water sign. Mm -hmm. So I have to make sure that we're on time. We exit on time. I'm never in the gossip space. I'm never in the like, you know, I I basically have two girlfriends here that I would process with, you know, it's the whole times about them really has nothing to do with me, even if they're my age and they're sort of dragging me into that space, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So that helps me weed out codependency definitely. And Mm -hmm. then I really do separate my work days with Connected Spirit students all on their own because I know I have to step into a certain frequency to do that. So I don't spread them out all over the week. I really try to keep like, you know, seven sessions, seven sessions, really particular. That is the only way I can contain my water is if it has riverbanks Mm -hmm. and it has to happen all on that day, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And that makes so much sense. And, you know, we talked about this in our private conversation too, but 
is that the boundaries and that for me is something that um too is it's it's interesting because I kind of split the fence where it's very natural for me it's like Capricorn rising I have Mm. multiple planets sitting in that archetype um but it's it's the same kind of desperate boundary where it's like hey it's gotta be there otherwise I'm going to be too intimate or too open for this specific container right and so that is something for sure where like scheduling I love how you said like start stop and what like always circling back to the actual thing and not having people come to me for answers mm-hmm. but having them go to their themselves for answers and really guiding through that and that's where actually slightly off topic but on topic in the whole is that's where human design for me has come in to be another tool that I use with my nourishment clients because it's all about that inner authority like okay so in the new age spiritual world we we hear the word freedom thrown around a lot but if you're asking your practitioner for answers that's not freedom in your own being in your own authority in your own autonomy in your own experience that's the projection of another practitioner which can be helpful as a perspective perception viewpoint and is probably not optimal or sustainable or great in terms of boundaries. So mm-hmm. that's where, like for me, integrating different tools that help people to know themselves better so that I'm not sitting there projecting my own experience onto all my clients' experiences has been incredibly helpful as well. Mm. Yeah, that's super helpful. I find astrology in a very similar way <clears throat> where I can really get into their language set through their chart. So I almost don't feel like it's Sue Hunt speaking, mm-hmm. you know, and I record all my sessions and I love listening back and sort of critiquing myself, another method I use mm-hmm. so that I'm like more objective to my own sound current, but I'm in a seven hour span, I'm seven different humans. <laughs> well, I love that you just said that because that's the beauty of actually being present, right? Is that like you're going to meet as a practitioner, I'm going to meet anyone who's present, practitioner or not, is going to meet people differently based on the alchemy of like both of the individuals coming together. Mm -hmm. Totally. And then so do you with your Capricorn, do you associate more extroverted or introverted? Oh, that's a tough question. I would say my the Capricorn for me in my chart, because there's Neptune, Uranus. Mm, I have a Neptune too. You do too. Uh, Is yours retrograde? Yep. Yeah, so is Dan's. Yep. And I have, you know, (laughs) sitting on my ascendant retrograde, Neptune right below that retrograde. And then Saturn is in Aquarius. It's still in my first house. Um, But yeah, it's for me, the Capricorn in my chart is very introspective. And so that's something that, um, you know, my, my son and my Venus and my Leo are sitting across in my seventh house, um, the sun and cancer, but then Venus and Mercury are sitting there in Leo, like, what are we doing? Like, let's be extroverted. And all those big planets in my first house are like, can you guys just be quiet? And like, no, stop. Cause then we're going to have to think about this. If we talk about it out, you know, in public, it's yeah. like that binary that you talk about that public private, mm-hmm. you know, what's what, and talk about authenticity. I mean, how do we even know aside from moment to moment, what feels like pre- correct when we're present, what authenticity is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I ask because you do a lot of like public collaboration 
Mm. you know? And so, but you also have so much water and I've been following you for a while on social media and you have such a strong point of view. And with Mercury Leo, I find myself not collaborating so well unless the roles are like really strict. And I love it when I can collaborate with someone else who has a fire sign in Mercury because mm-hmm. it's just rapid fire, yes. you know, or else it's kind of like, oh shit, I think I should be a little too loud. Or yeah. my editors had Mercury fire signs and like Zoom would always freeze up because we'd be like talking over each other but no one takes offense to it you know and so how do you navigate because leo's can be intense even though it's very heart-centered but Mm -hmm. collaborating out in the world with fire sign in your communication placement Hmm, such a good question um i will say that has been in the last like three years a huge learning point for me um I trend toward being a little bit naive sometimes as far as like, you know, how are we entering into this? What is the exchange? Like is, I assume naively often everyone's on the same page. And that's not to say that the page I'm on is correct and the page they're on is not. It's just, I assume, oh, everyone's on the same page because, you know, of their content or because of what they talk about. It's like that assumption that, we all are going to show up the same way. And so that's actually been something that I've kind of pulled back from doing as much in the last like six months or so, just because the prior two years, I learned so much about, oof, okay, well, just because there's like someone that seems like they have similar values, it doesn't always mean that they do. And so the collaboration thing for me, I love collaborating because my cancer son sitting in the seventh house is like, can we all be friends? Like we all have these same values and don't we want to dive in and get each other's perspective. And for me, the more perspectives, the better it's always challenging, like greatly challenging. Um, but that axis of like a stacked first house stacked seventh house, I'm like, well, that's my learning point. Like self Mm -hmm. and other is just, you know, a huge theme in my life. Um, And so I love collaborating because it also expands and gives different access points for people who are watching or listening or partaking because we are all so different. And at the same time, it's really been, um, I've had a lot of great experience collaborating and it's also been a space where I feel like I stuck my neck out prematurely, you know, and kind of, Mm. am still learning like, hmm, maybe collaborations were not optimal and were, were actually jumped into too fast because they didn't end up being an exchange or in the integrity that is really important to me personally. Yeah. And do you think people's social media avatars, because this is something I've been thinking about for the last like three years, you know, and I see people imprint on me and full transparency on this podcast, guys, everything I post every day, I'm not doing I backlog. So I don't have to be on my phone all day long, you know, and I see people engaging with me as if that's my real time, real present life. Mm-hmm. And that the social media avatar is the person, you know what I mean? Or I also hear on the other side, there, there's a person behind this account or da, 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 da. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I'm curious in terms of the discrepancy between maybe social media avatar and then actual lived ethics, if you're mm-hmm. like seeing a breakdown there. Totally. Oh, this is, I mean, I feel like we could talk about this for five hours alone, you know, <laughs> topic, but so I would say like, just coming from my own experience, it is tricky for me because um, when I perceive social media, it's like almost another reality, right? Same, same. Yeah. It's 
to me, it's not like when I'm off my phone for five days or away from social media, you know, I'm in a completely different space than if I'm interfacing with clients through my phone, posting on social media, making stories, making posts. It's so different for me. Um, so I do perceive it that way. And yet I also feel like, at least for myself, um, how I show up on social media is pretty similar to how I show up in real life, except with a little bit more drama, right? Like in my photos, because that's a way that I get to move creative sexual energy that is expressive for me personally. And even that is something that I'm like looking at and picking apart and going, okay, like where's the sweet spot here? But you know, it lets me move creative energy, but it's also for me. Like that's originally and initially, Mm-hmm. And even still, I just had this conversation with a really great friend. Um, actually, I think a mutual friend, but about like, hey, my social media is for me. It's for my expression. It's for my movement of energy. And then you start to realize like, okay, that might be, or I start to realize how that is through my perception. But like you just said, there is imprinting that happens. There is resonance that happens. There's this natural kind of entanglement through the world of the reality of social media that all of a sudden asks us very kindly but also abruptly you've got to take responsibility for everything you're putting out and what a beautiful thing to have like fly in our face oh right these are parts of me and also that is different than how some people use it which is you know like you said like showing up hey this is a po these are backlogged or these are whatever and there's no right or wrong way to use it but it can get a little bit slippery in terms of people going, oh, Sue is like this because this is what she posts. And Alyssa's is like this because this is what she posts where those are like small fractal pieces of the whole that are blips in like a moment. They're mm-hmm. a moment, you know? And so it does get interesting depending on how much time someone's spending on social media and in that reality. And if that's what they're getting their connection and all of their information and their experience versus people who are pulled back a little bit more from it, using it more as a tool or a resource. And I think that that's another, you know, binary Mm -hmm. that it fluxes for everyone. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like that comes up at all in your client work with like comparison, body image, some of the like filtering, some of the crazy stuff that we're seeing now with the really commodification of the female body and kind of contorting it almost. Absolutely. Yes. It, I actually, it was a client, I think three years ago who told me, Oh, you didn't know there was an app. You can make your waist smaller. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. What? Seriously. And they were like, yeah, you know, it's this and this and whatever. And Um, yeah, it does come up and it also came up before social media, you know, it's great point. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, that runs. I mean, I just spent a week with my mother, my Nana and my aunt and you talk about like, I had to full on like remove myself after from all communication because I was like, whoa, I have so much to process just in terms of how deep the vein of what people in a female body should look like. Mm -hmm. 
goes. That vein is so deep. And so, yes, to me, social media is amplifying it. And it's also giving us that like focal point of diversity is real. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's going like, oh, our features are this or that. And something that really bore itself to me a couple of years ago was just how social media is so geared toward the feminine, right? It's very aesthetic. It's moody. It like allows for quick, different open expressions and visuals and color, texture, tones, words, Mm -hmm. and group. And it allows people who didn't have a voice to have a voice. And so I think, you know, there's been like this really interesting, um, almost trajectory to watch like the feminine, many parts of the feminine come through and like explode into this reality that is Instagram, that is social media. And also to see, like, as we talked about a little bit that, you know, we're all kind of going, whoa, these are all facets of the feminine and what's manipulative, what Mm -hmm. feels empowered, what is like a survival tactic in that manipulation and what are we, what are we even aware of out of all of this? Like it can be dizzying. Yeah. Yeah. I think your point is that it happened before social media as well is just so spot on Mm -hmm. really haven't thought about it in those terms either. And that immediately took me back to our cancer sons and then understanding female lineage and then how thick and deep that is eating disorder pre social media right? So maybe social media is sort of this big blank screen where we're sort of seeing it go through the feminine, go through a massive process of this was already happening. So now let's just put it on our phone screen. (laughs) Totally. And, you know, it's interesting because, and I can't really speak to this personally, I can a little bit, um, but it's something that you know, the reality when we're like sitting not on our phones and we're in our bodies and we are like present there to the sensations and how our bellies feel and where we are in our cycle and how is our energy and what do our arms feel like? And like all the just very like earthy, raw, hey, I'm a human. I'm consciousness in a body that happens to be identified as female. Um, It's so much messier than the filtered chaos or yeah filtered chaos that becomes like some kind of order oh my lips look how they should quote unquote my 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 cheekbones are now with this filter different and my eyes are bigger and all of a sudden it's like instead of being confronted with the chaos of being in a human body especially a human body that cycles through life death life death life death all the time it's like I do think it's an easier quote unquote, reality to filter so much of our body, our skin, our facial, you know, features. And because so many of us are so busy, mm-hmm. I don't think that many women feel comfortable. Many people in female bodies, I should say, feel comfortable in the chaos of what that means because they're so busy that that chaos is just like a distraction or it's just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's not um, convenient. It's just an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And so I think the filtering, like I almost see it as this like projection of how people feel inside about their body rather than, oh, I have to fit into this social norm or this beauty standard. It's more of like, a, oof, I just don't know what this chaos is. I don't know how to make sense of it. Let me filter it. Mm, 
That's a much kinder approach than I have in my head. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> yeah. but why is that there though? It's, it's not, to me, it's like your approach isn't necessarily unkind. It's just a different perspective on it because of course, like, <sighs> it's so I dead. get worried. I get worried for the future generations of women. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I look at my little niece and I'm, you know, I didn't have Snapchat and all that kind of stuff when I was growing up, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel so grateful for that because now I can modulate my relationship to it and understand that it is a democratization tool to a degree. Mm-hmm. That's a a kind way to say it as well. I know the algorithm is, has its own ways and support certain things and that becomes tricky. But in terms of being able to just open a profile and say what you want to say in the world, I think there's a lot of freedom there, air quotes, you Mm -hmm. know, but I think at the same time, there's like the underbelly of, I don't even love the words body image, but just Mm -hmm. uh, lack of intimacy, you know, with earth, with self is just getting spewed through that little square. Totally. And I mean, like I can take the holistic kind quote unquote approach off and say, yeah, I mean, it's worrisome. It Mm -hmm. is alarming to think about a 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old person in a female body, every time they send a message to someone filtering their face and seeing their face like that, and then being confronted with the reality that that's not what their face looks like and having to grapple with, okay, well, which is which? And, you know, there's this book, have you heard of the book Psycho Cybernetics? No, but I, should, I love oh, the title. It's old. It's old. It's old. It's about this. Yeah. I, think, I forget the guy who wrote its name, but he was a plastic surgeon. And he, this whole book is about like his experience giving people plastic surgery and having them go through some of them, the process of like integrating those facial body changes mm-hmm. into their subconscious and then showing up as a different person who's more confident, who's more. Wow. You know, and then the flip side, having people have the surgeries and the cosmetic surgeries and then showing up without it integrated and being just as insecure, just as like, oh, no, I'm not attractive or I can't be confident. I can't make this sale. I can't whatever. Mm-hmm. And just how he talks about in this whole book, you've got to like, you don't need plastic surgery to have that shift. You've just got to really integrate the parts of you. And also know what your psycho cybernetic settings are. Like, what is the thermostat of your subconscious set at? Because it's going to return there every single time. And that to me is what's alarming about the filtering is that it kind of resets how we perceive our physical self and the importance that we put on our physical self. Mm -hmm. What a brilliant book. I'm very excited to read that because I do think this conversation, someone got on me on Facebook a couple of weeks ago and I totally understood what they were saying to the fact of, you know, you really sound like you're sort of preaching from purity culture, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I get that, you know, to say that one way is better than the other filter, no filter, makeup, no makeup, plastic surgery, no plastic surgery, you know, back and forth. But that particular link of get the surgery, flip the subconscious, don't get the surgery, flip the subconscious, both might work. <laughs> yeah. That could provide a totally different way to converse about it. That's sort of outside of yes, no, or the purity projection, which I love. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What was the, do you remember what the conversation was? I'm just curious about like what their take was or what you had said. Yeah. I was making a comment on filtering and makeup, mm-hmm. you know, cause a couple minutes ago when you were like, think about what it feels like to be on your phone. And I just felt like this little sad shriveling snail, <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> you know, like that's my embodiment when I'm on it. And so I, I was reflecting cause I was launching the book and a lot of pressure on like, get on IG lives with all these people and da, 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 da. And I just like, had this horror vision of the ring light and like lipstick and you know <laughs> like, no no <laughs> I can't do it I can't do it and so it was kind of like a little rant about that <laughs> well, it's easy right now it's sitting very beautifully not like no makeup still very radiant lots of plants around it um <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and this is okay so this also brings up the conversation of like the cliche be the change. And that's something for me that like my also like very cynical, you know, uh, we'll just say it's Saturn sitting right across from Mercury. What are you doing? Are you serious? What is that? And there is for me that disgust, that kind of leaning away when I, when I do see like, even like femininity, the the divine feminine, oh, it's got to be thin and silk robes and, and lingerie, or it's got to be like, in all white in flower land and all of these like very specific and of course like it's my own projection that I'm saying it has to be that one way but there's that subtle there's so many subtleties right um and also to go back to the cliche I'm always reminding myself like hey post the picture where you're uncomfortable with your belly, post the picture where you don't have makeup on, post the picture where your hair looks like you just stuck your finger in an electrical socket like post <laughs> The, the stories where you just are wearing what you're wearing and you don't have makeup on and you went, Ooh, I just got a download. I want to share this in a story. And it is hard. And it's also like, to me, there has to be just as many Sue's and Alyssa's and people on the same page showing up being like, Hey, I'm just going to show up how I am not with my face filtered through some kind of modulator of my features or my waist or whatever. And that's that. Yeah. That's a good point. Like that both archetypes can be held. Yeah. And they're both going to catch shit. So someone (laughs) might might as well hold both. (laughs) But, you know, I do really respect your point, which is like, I remember being in middle school and having this conversation with a friend about going out into public. And she was talking about, oh, are you, we were sitting at basketball practice. I will never forget this. And she was like, you don't ever wear makeup to basketball. And I was like, yeah, cause it goes like, I sweat, like anyone who knows me, I sweat, I get red, like I'm full blast dripping. I'm like a walker on the block, you know? And so I'm like, yeah, like it just doesn't make sense for me to, it'll be everywhere. It'd be on your Jersey. And she was like, yeah, I don't even go to like the grocery store without makeup. Like what if someone saw me like, and I'm like, you know, we're young, but still we're in that phase where all of a sudden it's all relevant. And, um, I remember being like, okay, cool. Like, I get it. You want to look sexy or beautiful or whatever. And it felt sad in my body that that was the only way this person could feel sexy, beautiful, engaging was with makeup on as a 13 year old young adult. And so I do think like that was pre-social media. That was pre-Instagram, pre-Snapchat, pre-whatever 
Yeah. So I can't even imagine. And to your point, what it's like now. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, it feels super intense and Mm -hmm. I, I, I do agree in like a very positive way that we are seeing a bit of a reclamation and that there is a celebration of different body types. I I still think we're a bit in the performative space with that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we saw that change so fast with a lot of the 2020 conversations and big brands, like finally waking up a little bit, a little Mm -hmm. bit, it still feels a little bit weird and Mm -hmm. not fully evolved or mature yet. So, I mean, I'm hoping that current can be supportive in so many ways in the long run. Mm, Totally. And I, where, you know, when you just said it still feels performative, it still feels immature. I think this is the other thing about social media and we talked about it in our private, but it's like that intention, like, you know, when a big brand comes out and there's different body types and different races represented, it's like, are you doing this because you can feel it's the best? And same for me, anything I post, that's, you know, something that is important and relevant socially right now, that's kind of trendy, quote unquote, but it's like, where's the intention coming from? Like, is it actually to give these people, these minorities, these women, these different bodies, a voice, a platform, a place, Or is it just because, you know, that's what people want to see. And I think that that's another huge thing that I'm learning too, is like intention and like energy never lies. Like you can just feel that through, even through the screen oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course I have to monitor my own projections, but that's something that I have been playing with going, Hmm, like just asking questions around, like when I read that post, what intention comes through to me, even if it's my own, when I see that picture, what intention comes through and like, am I comfortable with that? How does that make me feel in my body, you know, or how do I feel in response to that in my body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How that goes too. Yeah. I think that's really sort of getting at the heart of faking awake and deciding like, you know, to some degree, and I love saying this in Dharma talk, like every human has an agenda. If you're aware of your own, then you'll be much clearer of other people's, Mm -hmm. right? And social media is inherently performative. So it's like a conundrum to say that it's not going to have that seed there. We're all getting on there, each and every one of us to share a specific message, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that like one thing I did a lot in 2020 was sort of pull out of the virtual space and North no Gemini just hit my neighbor up and try to have more real like embodied conversations so that you can actually feel those things in a less performative space. Like I knew that when I was like going to bring up some of new age spirituality, that it was going to be difficult for both of us on a podcast because we were having that conversation privately and super openly and it was super emotionally charged. Oh, yes. Yeah. And when we go to put that in public, it always gets just a little bit mitigated. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, this is where too, there's such a difference for me between like public where I'm sitting with people body to body in the same room and public where I'm being listened to in the context of a moving car or, you know, distraction. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've seen in myself. I tend to be more reactive if I'm distracted, whereas if I'm in a room feeling people's bodies and energies, or just like one-on-one, even just talking, there's this ability to say, wow, okay, I am going to let my emotional charge move through because I can feel that this other person really wants to hear and understand. 
versus, oh, I'm just going to listen to this. And then there's this kind of filtering that we all do. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, that's what I loved about your book so much. It's like, there's a quote and I'm going to say it a little bit off, but it's like in the subconscious, you know, opposites can exist happily side by side. And like, everything is paradoxical. And that's why I loved your book. Cause it really just opens to like, Hey, public versus private, but you're also not naming like one's better than the other. You're just like, notice, 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 be aware, be aware, be aware. And that felt so great. Like so nourishing to read that, Hey, be aware mm-hmm. because there, there are times and places like you know, I think what made you reach out to me is I did a, I did a whole story and it was for yeah, me. I just was like, no, cancer Pisces, <laughs> you've got this, you've got this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, you can go find it in my story highlights. It's actually like still cringy for me to keep it up there, but that, you know, I had shared the story about just like practitioners in the quote unquote wellness space and charging certain amounts and talking about their income and how that is a struggle for me to swallow and also to know, Hey, how do I even want to show up in regard to all of this? Um, just because, and I mean, I don't even know if you want to go down that rabbit hole, but that is its own, that is its own kind of juxtaposition of the Instagram, like you said, agenda, we all show up with one. And as practitioners, we're being sold to all the time. All the time. All the, yeah. If you yeah. don't know, cause Instagram yeah. doesn't sell to you because that's not your job. There's, you know, the algorithm that anyone who is a practitioner in the wellness space is constantly being sold to, to hire a business coach, get more followers, get more comments, make more money, make a six figure, make a seven figure. Like just, it's, it's not bad. It's just so full blown that I think sometimes, especially when we're not grounded in the thriving space. And it's more of that survival. I'm just jumping into this. I've got a certain cost of living. I'm trying to maintain mm-hmm. and just, you know, it's, we're all so conditioned around all I know. of it. Why doesn't the meme say, well, let's first look at your cost of living. <laughs> right. Totally. And that's something, this is where like, for me, it's such a big struggle. Cause as you mentioned earlier, I mean, the first like four and a half years of my business, I lived in a van, which I'm not saying you need to do it that way. That was just like how I personally was like, Hey, this is what's going to make it sustainable for me is not having to push outside of creativity to make some kind of money that I need to sustain my cost of living. Mm -hmm. So in seeing all this business coach selling and, you know, for $10,000 for two months, refine, like do all this stuff to your business so you can make six figures and watching people who I was collaborating with and so on and so forth, move through these programs and then just feeling this, you know, pressure to sell, pressure to sell, sell, sell. And I'm over here with like this very high level awareness just because of really a big part of what got me even into the health realm was uh, reading Kevin Trudeau's book. He was like a former pharmacist lobbyist person and he like left and wrote this whole book and I my parents like read that to us on a vacation car ride home when I was like 12 or 13 I don't even know why it was random (laughs) like whoa the consumerism goes super deep here um and I'm not you know I'm a consumer for sure we all are 
that's the nature of the economy that we live in. Right. Mm -hmm. And like circling it back, it also is tricky to be sitting in a place where you're showing up wanting to work with people, help guide them through their nourishment, their spirituality, their process, their whatever. And also going, oh my gosh, do I need to be making more money, more, 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 more? Because that immediately for me shifts my energy from presence and awareness and creativity and holistic, really availability into just this focus on money. And that's hard for me. And it's hard to watch because I'm human and I do that comparison thing. I start doing the, oh my God, these 10 people who I know are doing this. And they're making three, four, five times the amount that I am. They've been doing it for two years. What's wrong with me? So it was like, Sue watched me unpack this semi, like, you know, sooner than I normally share. Um, And she reached out and was like, hey, I want to share with you. And that was super um, helpful for me to just hear back values and ethics and sustainability and boundaries and keep going. So thank you for that, Sue. Mm -hmm. And that's really how you started this conversation. One of the first questions, you know, which I think is such a brilliant answer that it really isn't about cash flow or vanity metrics or, you know, huge revenue, right? It really comes back to the life that we want to be living individually, which is, I know both of us want to spend more time outside, more time in our quiet own auric field, Mm -hmm. you know? more time. Like I would love to put up my raised bed today, yes. you know, like get off this podcast and that's part of my work, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that like, yes, that is a holistic approach, but I think it's also more of an earth centered approach, mm-hmm. which we're going to need in the next decade. Right. There's just no way around that. You know, there's no way around that. And I think it's really interesting because I've been in the yoga teaching space, which really got super commercial mm. about five years in for me. So it was a decade of real commercial intensity in five years in my like early twenties, late teens, when there was one yoga studio, a city, you know, Lululemon hadn't blown up. You just wore your umbros to class. <laughs> like it wasn't really a thing yet. You know, of course there was the cool old hippie ladies that definitely inspired me, but they didn't have like an aesthetic or anything yet. And so I just, I felt my process in my early twenties through your video when I felt the commercial yoga boom Mm. and just feeling like, oh my God, this thing that I love and is so sacred to me, that's changed my life. It's changed my entire family's life at this point. Cause I'm just squeaky wheel about it, you know, all the time, just deteriorate in front of my eyes, Mm. you know, and that really rocks your identity hardcore when I was so identified as a yogini at right. 21, mm-hmm. you know, and then just to say, that's what it is now. Mm. Uh. <laughs> yeah, like you have the disgust reaction too. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that like the commercial boom happens and then like the dust, dust settles in a way, you know what I mean? Yes. There's just no way around that. It could take a hundred years. It could take three more years. I have no idea. Right. Right. Totally. And that's where like, you know, again, like transparency is huge because it triggers people though. It does. It totally triggers people. And it's also such a gift. I mean, you talk about like just in human design, one of the gates, um, 
is it's about sexuality. It's called the gate of sexuality, but it's not purely like reproductive sexuality. It's also that metaphorical, like the dispersion. It's also called the gate of the disper dispersion through the I Ching. And it's all about like dispersion of creative ideas that then reproduce in the world. And if you really distill it down and you look at it, it's all about transparency because, you know, there can't be that sexual attraction to something that we don't fear at least even a little bit. And so it's like oh, that yeah. transparency is always for me, like pulling, like, Hey, can you get a little bit more transparent about that thing? And it, that's so hard because I'm like, well, yeah, I can. And do I want to? Cause then I'm going to get hit with so many ideas and reactions and to sort through. Mm -hmm. And while that's hard, I also think that that is a gift of social media because otherwise I'd be, you know, preaching to the choir. Like most of my close people feel the same way about things I do. So mm -hmm. that's also been, you know, a way for me to nourish myself is like, Hey, this is really hard for my sensitive little cancer baby and my Pisces moon. But you know, how can we figure out a broader perspective and take that more objective road by just understanding a multitude of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a really good point that it is sort of like a cra consciousness crash course because it's click, swipe, boom, stimulus, right? And we're all sort of in that environment. Yeah, so all the good, bad, the ugly sort of comes up simultaneously. I think if your central nervous system is pretty strong, though, I agree. You think you can use it as a bit of a practice. Mm -hmm. And if I am over drugged down by something, I just immediately say, I got to meditate or I need to go outside or I need to clean my field. Mm -hmm. You know, that's on me. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that responsibility, like that's another, that's another whole conversation too, where, you know, taking that responsibility and moving into spaces like that, where you're like, yeah, that is on me. It is, it's on you. It's on me. And that's, to me, that's how, like, if we we're going to write a rule book, a user's guide, let's just say <laughs> for Instagram, especially it's on me, it's on me. <laughs> yeah, like hey, how I feel is on me and navigating it like that brings so much more clarity and nourishment and expansion, just in understanding. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So I want to double back a little bit and just, I don't want to imprint my experience on you, but when I found rock climbing, I was like, oh my God, why have I not known about this? And it was a big body shift for me in so many amazing, empowering ways. And did you watch the light film? No, I didn't. I okay. saw for it. I haven't yeah. watched it. Yet. I just like, didn't really know about that underbelly and climbing because I came to it later in life, not really in my teens and not through my eating disorder lens. So it was very interesting for me to watch that because mm -hmm. when I found climbing, you know, yoga is so like, you have to be ethereal and thin and gaunt almost. And these huge beautiful collarbones. And it's like a very specific aesthetic, especially in like 1999, you know, what was making the cover of yoga journal kind of situation. And when I found climbing, my body just boom, it just changed immediately. And I felt so empowered and happy with it. Was I wearing bigger pants? Yes. Were my shoulders like so much bigger? Fuck yes. You know, <laughs> just, I wasn't worried about it. Into women's bras anymore yeah <laughs> for my lats busting out of every shirt <laughs> oh my god dan always i'm like dan look at this bra it's so nice he's like get three don't yep. buy any other ones <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, you know, well, actually, let me, were, are you finished with that? kind of? No, thought? I'm just, I'm curious, like coming from nourishment and then I, it's such a particular type of exercise and dealing with other people's bodies and their relationship to their body. How has climbing influenced your relationship to your body? There's the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so just for context here too, like, I think, I know I followed you for at least like six years. Yeah. It's been a while. I was thinking that this morning too. Yeah. These five. Yeah. Yeah. At, at least. And so I know that there is this whole, like, for those of you who aren't familiar with my Instagram or suits or whatever, um, for me, there's been this whole progression. Like my, I didn't have any social media or smartphone until I was like 21. And that was right around the time I started climbing too. And so it was just this natural kind of evolution for me to enter social media through climbing. Um, and because of that, and because that was like right around the time I started my private practice, I actually ended up with a lot of climbing mm. nutrition clients. So even though I haven't seen that film, I've had so many clients who are, you know, the whole spectrum of, of gender identity as client climber focused nutrition experiences. And I can, I will speak to my own experience, but I will say that there is within climbing, the thing I see the most regularly is just this focus on weight. And I met it the moment I moved to Colorado, when I went out climbing with three other women in Rocky Mountain National Park. And one of the things that they were talking about, oh, how much do you weigh? Because I, oh God, I think I would have never climbed again if that was my first experience. And I will tell you this, I have never been like light as a climber. So I was sitting at like 157 pounds then. And they were like, I told them and they were like, what? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, seriously. And I was like, yeah, which, you know, weight is just our gravitational pull to the earth. But when you're climbing, you want your gravitational pull theoretically to be less low gravity. (laughs) (laughs) No one likes the high gravity. (laughs) Um, And so climbing really has pushed I would say me through so many phases of relating to my body differently because it is so function focused, right? It's like structure mm-hmm. equals function. Your lats start, start popping out of your shirt and you're not mad about it because all of a sudden you have this functional strength, right? Um, but that being said, it totally, I have seen, it's, it's been a big progression for me personally, but I have seen my, dis, like any kind of disordered eating for me pop through with the entry point of climbing and that is it. Mm. And I always have to really check myself where I'm like, Alyssa, it's okay. Like you just don't feel the best today climbing and that's fine. Um, because my body, like I said earlier, my body always gives me the hard no. It just does not take any bullshit, but I was going really hard at one point. It was like around 2017. And I wouldn't say I was disordered in my eating, but I was like counting macros and I was like very specific you know, I was probably the most cut I've ever been. I was like regularly climbing V7, which for me is great. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And just climbing a ton and lifting and all this stuff. And every single knuckle on my, both my hands just got inflamed, like full on blew up. I was probably just overdoing it, mm-hmm. not getting enough nourishment, not getting enough rest. And that was a really a turning point for me in my relationship to climbing because I was like, Hey, you know, you, this is a way to filter your intensity and a way to, you know, keep your body in a way that you've been conditioned to think of as like great and exalted. And my body was like, fuck no, like you need to stop. 
this is not okay. And so since then I've really loosened my grip where I'm like, like I haven't climbed very much in the last eight weeks up until like this last week and mentally it's hard. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Right. Cause you come back and you're like, (gasps) and I think you have experienced this maybe a little bit, but then like just re-entered really hardcore maybe or whatever. Yeah, Um, Yeah, totally. But that ebb and flow for me has been fun, mainly mentally to say, Hey, regardless of weight, regardless of how strong you feel climbing, regardless of your body composition, can you just enjoy the experience? Because it used to not be that way. Like I used to have to look a certain way, climb at a certain strength. Yeah. And even if I didn't, there was that whole cycle of, oh, I've got to get better and improve and get leaner and lighter. And it always hard stops because I'm like, I can't, this doesn't feel, this doesn't feel holistic again. It feels very specific and cut off from reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what a a line too, when like you need power, you need endurance, you need uh, like your muscle fibers rebuilding very quickly Mm-hmm. And then to like push it to feel light and lean, you know, it's not really getting what it needs to perform. It's like a really uh, circular issue, you know, or sort of chasing your tail all the time. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Every climber I've ever worked with hits that conundrum if they're, you know, having climbing at the focal point. And then it's also, you know, then the conversation shifts where you do have to go, okay, well, you know, what how much am I swimming against the current here and how much better would I climb if I just focused instead of on my weight on, like you just alluded to replenishment, recovery, having my needs met and just being aware of how hard I'm going, what my output is versus what my intake of nutrition and rest is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's when I enjoy it the most, when I feel good, when I feel the best yourself. Yeah. And when your knuckles don't hurt. <laughs> sometimes mine will hurt and I'll be like oh shit I have candida (laughs) (laughs) I better go drink some MCT oil for the next week it's like a funny little thing right where I don't feel my fingers recovering Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) yeah yeah and then you stop this is for me you know and it's funny that you just said that because I went on like a wild goose chase when it happened with like all these different therapies and diets and then when I stopped climbing for a minute, like there was, I had, I ended up with like a pretty intense case of tendonitis like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I just stopped climbing and I just did hangboard every other day and uh, for like eight months and did a little bit of PT. My fingers felt fine. And I was like, oh yeah, right. Cause I'm not pushing. Mm-hmm. I mean, climbing so intense on your hands. So intense. Yeah. So it was just like that. Like, Hey, is there actually a cause or is what you're doing just actually causing stress on the joints? Mm-hmm. you know Which can definitely be the case <laughs> not always but I mean if you're going hard and you're climbing frequently and you're doing all the things I mean you with your what your systems board over there or moon board yeah or that stressful on your fingers yeah yeah it is I I can really only get on that board twice a week hmm. and then gotta modulate it if I want to be outside more you know yeah. because then I'm just like exhausted and powered down but I'm like treading on adrenal fatigue. So I have to just be a little careful with Mm -hmm. like my recoveries because I just feel very tired in my creative brain when Mm -hmm. I'm not climbing. And I'm like, meh, that's so not you. So like, (laughs) this is not 
like flow state for you at all, even though that was an awesome day of climbing yesterday. And I climb with a lot of younger men, you Mm -hmm. know? So just yesterday, my 20 year old male friend was like, do you want to, you know, go get in the barn? And I was like, no, honey, I'm 35 year old female. (laughs) I need two full days of rest. (laughs) Outside for six hours. I'm not going to do that right now. And he just kind of looked at me like, okay, but, uh, that took a little while to sort out, you well, know? Yeah. Experience yeah. wisdom. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when I was writing the book, I didn't climb for an entire 18 months because I needed that intensity to do something else. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I had this funny little joke. Cause we met climbing. We did nomadic life as well. Climbing our whole relationship was built off climbing. And he was like, if both of us, actually, if one of us quits climbing, our relationship will probably end, you know, cause we're sport climbers. So we need each other all the time. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then when I was like, I'm not going to climb for 18 months. So it was started out as 12 months and then it turned into 18 because I just wasn't done with the process yet, you know, and luckily we're still married, but (laughs) (laughs) love each other. (laughs) It's just kind of a funny thing to say because there's just so much intensity and so much commitment. You know, I've, I've really lucked out with my climbing girlfriends in Taos. Both of them also come from eating disordered backgrounds. And so we've had conversations at the Craig where it's like climbing helped us get over that type of discussion in our inner body. Whereas like, hell yeah, I can eat a pizza and drink a beer. Like I just climbed all day totally. where it totally flipped the script, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. I think it, I wonder if it's different from community to community. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think people feel like that here in Boulder area as well, but, you know, something that was very intense, at least for me, um, and I can't speak for everyone, but I have heard this is that like Boulder and climbing, like you walk into the gyms in Boulder and you're climbing with like the elite, Oh yeah, the, you know, so you're sitting there like, Oh, I'm so weak. Like if you're <laughs> regardless of how hard you're climbing, um, because you're watching someone project V12 in the gym mm-hmm. and So it's, you know, it's all relative. Um, But that being said, yeah, form and function and climbing and just being like, hey, if I haven't eaten enough, I'm not showing up strong today because Mm -hmm. I'm depleted or I'm going to be shaky. You feel it immediately. And, you know, something you just said that really cued me in is that that is also something that has been fun for me to play with in reducing my amount of climbing is that like, hey, I can have a pizza and a beer if I want a pizza and a beer, period. And it's feeling good at a certain point because I'm not actually going to want it. I'm just going to want that pleasure and reward hit of high carb, high fat, Mm -hmm. but let me get aware about when I actually want it versus like when I don't actually want it and not having to like deserve it because I did some kind of high intensity thing. Cause that's, I mean, there were multiple people in Boulder. We'd be up in Rocky mountain national park all day. And everyone's talking about, oh, I sent today. So I get my send cookie or I sent today. So mm. I get my, and it's like that, even that creates a very interesting relationship to how we perceive food and certain types of food in regard to what we do personally, rather than just how we be and what's going on in our bodies. Yeah. That's a great point. Such a great point. And then when I'm not climbing, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm like, I'll eat this nectarine. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a totally, 
because I didn't have that extreme exertion and my body's like so much more relaxed almost. My central nervous system is relaxed and I'm much more intuitive with my choices about, I, it feels like I'm more interested in micronutrients, not macros. And I can feel that little shift. I'm not at any, I don't know much about dietitian words or anything. So I barely ever say that in my own meta. <laughs> yeah. But you're super aware of like health and body awareness. Yeah. It's like a very interesting thing to witness, you know, in the fitness culture, you know, I know we were just so specific on climbing, but even in fitness culture, it's just everywhere about like macros, calories. I mean, it's just so much, Mm -hmm. so much. And that little intuitive shift where I'm like, oh, I'll just eat three nectarines and some yogurt for dinner, you know, like that has nothing to do with like function or output. It's just pure craving of a specific micronutrient almost that feels good just feels good totally and that's you know just like your pizza and beer too could have been a craving and this is something I always remind my clients is like you know so many people are like oh I gotta really exercise a ton and to be healthy and I always say to people like if you turn the wheel on your output your intake is gonna have to turn the wheel too like you know, if you're hard climbing, if you're exerting yourself physically, or like if you're a biker and you're going out on these long bike rides or you're lifting, your body's appetite is going to be so much louder than if you're just like, you know, practicing gentle restorative yoga and taking walks. And so it is that whole, you know, again, really big picture, trusting, like trusting those cravings, trusting that sense and awareness around, hey, what do I need? And not having it have to be based on some kind of rules of, this is good. And this is bad. And this is a yes food. And this is a no food. And just being like, Mm -hmm. what's the whole picture happening here? Yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) I think we could probably keep going for another three (laughs) hours, but (laughs) I think like 55 minutes to 65 minutes is a sweet spot for most consciousness spans, you know? So I really appreciate the time, right. And all your transparency and honesty just sort of riffing on it with me, not preparing for this at all and just showing up in full trust. So thank you so much for being with us today on Live Lightly Podcast, Alyssa. It has been an honor. Thank you, Sue. And thank you for your questions, truly. Thank you for listening to the Live Lightly Podcast. If you loved this episode, please download and subscribe. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you and your main takeaways from this episode. Tag us on Instagram and Facebook at LiveLightly underscore. We will then reshare your takeaways and insights. We love bringing you these in-depth conversations. Please remember the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as actionable advice. This podcast is a resource for general information and education only. Live Lightly is not liable for your decisions to implement information from this podcast.